When I lived in the foothills of North Carolina during seminary, I had the opportunity to serve as a tutor for seventh graders who were part of a program called AVID, Advancement Via Individual Determination. The program was geared towards teens whose parents had not gone to college, and so they received extra help during the school day with tutors who worked in small groups. However, as a tutor, I was really there to serve more as a facilitator. The idea is that they would learn by helping one another. So every week, I'd sit down with a small group of four or five students to work on their math homework or help prepare for an upcoming exam. They would take their questions, bring them to the group, and take turns helping answer. They'd look together at the assignments and see if they knew how to respond to the questions. However, from time to time, they would get stumped, or so it seemed. I remember that there was one student in particular, Jada, who had this uncanny ability to help complete someone else's question and then turn to me and say, but I don't know how to do that one. The rest of the group would look on and wait to see how I would respond. Was I going to do the work for them? Complete the problem? Give them the answer? But the truth was, they had done some very similar problems just moments before. They had the information they needed to complete this problem. And Jada knew, as well as I did, that she had what it took to find the answer. So I did what I did best as a tutor. I'd start by asking questions. Step by step, starting with the basics, I'd ask, well, I think I can help you, but first, what kind of triangle is this? Oh, that's right, it's a right triangle. Okay, so we need to find the area. What's the formula for finding the area of a right triangle? And step by step, they'd complete the problem and come to the answer that they knew all along. Now, I didn't just come to this method on my own. The AVID director, Amy, had actually told me early in the tenure of my program, a good tutor never answers a question the student can answer for themselves. I think Jesus knew this to be true. In our scripture today, a lawyer, or better stated for us Tallahassians, an expert in the religious law, comes to Jesus and asks a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when I hear the lawyer is asking to test Jesus, I think, of course he is. The lawyer is trying to set him up. But what if maybe he's trying to test him to see if he, the lawyer, is on the right path? You see, moments before the question, Jesus has sent out and had returned to him 70 missionaries, those who are going to spread the news of Jesus. They've come back, and Jesus is sharing that they are blessed to have seen him, to have understood his message. But the wise, they are missing out. If I had heard that, I might be worried and want to test the waters with Jesus too. Wait, Jesus, am I missing it? Jesus doesn't respond with hostility, and he doesn't dismiss the lawyer's question. 
But like a good teacher, Jesus doesn't answer a question the student can answer on his own. He responds by asking a question. He asks and then clarifies, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You see, the lawyer has asked a personal question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He wasn't trying to compare or put others down. He was checking on himself. And so Jesus has him take a look inward. Don't just quote scripture to me. You are an expert in the law. Tell me how you read it. What does it mean? In responding to Jesus' question, the lawyer is taking ownership of his faith. He gives one unified answer. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When he answers this, he's quoting the law that the Jews recited twice a day. He's quoting the Shema. Found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, or in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now the lawyer actually added a fourth quality with which we should love God, our mind. I think he does this not because there is something significant about adding the mind, that it will be less effective if he leaves that part out. I don't think that's his concern. I think he's making the point that we are to love God with all we have. We are to love God with our whole self. And, he goes on, love your neighbor as yourself. This is from Leviticus 19, and he has combined the two to encompass the whole of the written law. There's a story told of a Jewish rabbi who lived around Jesus' time. A Gentile so astonished by how legalistic he understood Jewish law to be comes to the rabbi and challenges him. If you can stand on one foot and quote all of the law, I will convert to Judaism. And so the rabbi pops up on one foot and says, love God with all your heart, soul, and might. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the whole of the law. The rest is all commentary. The rabbi then put his foot down and the challenger was converted. It seems that the rabbi and the lawyer both had the same understanding, that these were the most important, to love God, love neighbor, and love self. And Jesus agreed. He responds, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. There's a key word in there. You see, when Jesus asked the question about the law, he was asking about belief. But when he responded, he tells the lawyer to do. And if he embodies the understanding of the law, not only will he inherit eternal life, but he will experience life abundant here and now. Do this and you will live. 
In those two other gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, where we hear a similar story, this answer is made out to be a first and second command. But here, they are intertwined. And Jesus affirms that we love God with all we have just as we love our neighbors. And we love our neighbors just as we love ourselves. It's like they are interdependent. As we love God, we will naturally love our neighbors. It's hard to love our neighbors when we don't first love ourselves. And as we love ourselves more, our love for God will grow. As we experience love for our neighbor, we get to feel what it's like to love God in tangible ways. They are all wrapped in one. They are all inclusive and necessary for us to truly live as Christ calls us to. And I can't help but think that the question of Jesus on this step in our Lenten journey came when I needed it most. On this first Sunday of worshiping virtually, I don't know about you, but my love for God is often best displayed when I've been present with the gathered body, singing and confessing, praying together in worship. So how are we being called to live out our love for God when wisdom has told us that it's best to stop meeting in person? How in a world where social distancing is being pushed, can I love my neighbor? And now, more than ever, in this time that is laced with fear and so much emotional drainage, how do we love ourselves? I hope you will continue to tune in as we offer our worship service online. If you are able, I encourage you to participate in our call-in Bible studies that you'll see more about this week. But also, I hope you'll practice your faith in personal ways. I'll post on Facebook later today a guide for trying to use a prayer walk. So that as you're out in your neighborhood stretching your legs, you can take time to focus on your connection with God and sing songs. Tune in to the radio, search YouTube, play today's hymns on repeat. Do what you can to praise God with your voice. We can love God in different and yet still incredibly powerful ways. As we think about loving others, I think living responsibly and distancing ourselves is a way to show love and care. However, we can still find other ways to love our neighbors from our homes. Why not make a list of those in our church family who you feel like might be isolated during this time? Each day this week, send an email or pick up the phone and call one of them to let them know you're thinking of them. I saw a really neat opportunity provided through the sharing tree this week. On Facebook, they've created a group called Art Pals. Similar to Pen Pals, this group connects you with other folks in our community who will create and share with one another, sending art to someone you might not even know. We now have a t-shirt bag kit that you can pick up at the church office. 
It has instructions with supplies on how to sanitize first and then create bags that we'll be able to use down the road for Manna on Meridian. You can return your completed product to the church office where you picked them up. Do not let social distancing stop you from finding safe and meaningful ways to love your neighbor. It's going to be hard to love our neighbor, though, if we're not making sure that we also care for ourselves during this time. Show yourself grace in the days ahead. Don't try to keep up with those around you, seeing how productive your friends are being with their homeschooling and remote working. Instead, take time to do what feels right for you so that you're not overwhelmed. Find time to rest, unplug, and center yourself. During this time of uncertainty, let's take ownership of our faith. May we live in a way that declares to the world that we belong to God and that our love for God is so woven into how we love others and ourselves that people cannot help but experience the powerful love of God. We know what the law says. Let's do it. Good job.